The Bible, uh, for me, is a guidebook. I think it's inspired by God, and I do think it's filled with inaccuracies. And you'll see things in there that remind you of yourself, and it'll make you really want to change. You'll realize that that Bible's not lying to you, but it's telling you truth. Just a storybook written by some people about some character. There's plenty of things that even if you don't believe in God, there's plenty of things in the Bible that can improve your life. I personally don't think everything should be taken literally. The Bible? Mm, that's controversial. <laughs> Thank you for asking. The Bible is still here. It, this book is almost 2,000 years old. It, it still exists for some reason. And to me, that stands out. That means something. It's not coincidence. Well, good morning. So glad to be with you here today, whether you're here in the Lake Forest Sanctuary or up in the 01, Crossroads or Highland Park. Uh, so glad that we get to explore this question together. Uh, and if you've been around for any of this Explore God series, these are all really great questions. There's a lot riding on these questions, and especially this one today, is the Bible reliable? And I hope that some of you are here today not because you normally go to church or this is a regular routine for you, but because you're carrying this question. You're here to sort of wrestle with this. I hope that's you. And if it is, I'm going to be speaking to you today in particular. Uh, and as well as to all of us, uh, because this question has relevance for everything that we do. In fact, the songs that we just sang in worship at all of our campuses and venues, uh, if the Bible is not reliable, uh, then what we've been singing is not reliable and with sort of nonsense that we're even here today. Uh, so many of the other questions in this series hinge on this question of the reliability of the Bible. So this is a really big question that we have. I was talking earlier this week with my wife about this question, just sort of thinking about this topic and how I'm going to approach it uh, today. And uh, we were standing in our kitchen and I was trying to articulate, you know, for me, what is the operative question here? Because the, the question of the reliability of the Bible, as important as it is, really gives rise to a second question, and that is, how much will I actually rely on it? Uh, and we were standing in the kitchen, and I'm looking up, and I'm like, it's kind of like these cookbooks on our shelf. Um, for example, I have this America's Test Kitchen cookbook, and, and I trust this cookbook. I believe that it's reliable. Why do I trust this cookbook? Well, because it was written by those nice people on TV who test everything. So I figure they know what they're talking about. The recipes that are in this cookbook, they must be reliable. I'm even proud to have this on my shelf. It makes me sort of feel like a cook. Like maybe I've learned some things and tested some things. And I've got a second America's Test Kitchen cookbook as well. But if I'm honest, at least when I'm cooking, they just kind of sit there on the shelf. I don't really rely on them, even though I believe in their reliability. And, and in the same way... I have a stack of Bibles, uh, both in my office and in my home, uh, Bibles for kids, Bibles for adults, um, abridged versions of the Bible, translations of the Bible, and, and I trust every one of them. Why do I trust the Bible? I'm going to say a couple of things about why I trust the Bible, um, but before I dive into that, I just want to sort of qualify this a little bit. There is so much that can be said about the reliability of the Bible, reasons to trust the Bible. And I'm just going to mention two this morning, and um, I'm going to borrow these from the Alpha course. 
the Alpha course uh, is a great way to explore all of these questions further. And so if what I say today or if what you've heard over any of these other messages sort of raises more questions, I would say that's a great thing. And the Alpha course is an opportunity to spend some time digging in even more. And we'll have opportunities uh, to do that at the end of this Explore God series. So if you're asking more and deeper questions about these things, uh, I would encourage you to take advantage of one of these opportunities. And we'll be talking more about that uh, in the days and weeks Ahead. So just a couple of things about why I can trust the Bible. Um, and one is, is very simply, it's the most popular book in history. Uh, if it were counted among the best sellers, it would top the best seller list every single week. For the sake of comparison, if you Google uh, New York Times bestseller or Amazon bestseller right now, uh, you'll see Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. Uh, A little over three million copies have been sold since November when it came out. I think it's on its sixth printing. It's a really big run. A lot of copies of this are being sold. The Bible prints 100 million copies every year. And this is not a new book. It's been around, right? The estimates for how many copies of the Bible have been printed in history ranges widely, but anywhere between 2.5 and 6 billion copies of the Bible have been in print. And it's not just the most popular book today or last year or 100 years ago or even 1,000 years ago. In all of history, just the ubiquitous nature of the Bible, it's everywhere, transcends country, transcends language, transcends sort of generations. And so it's just proven itself over and over and over again. So just on a high level, there is no other other book that stands as a peer to the Bible. It's a testament to its basic trustworthiness. A second reason uh, that I find compelling that I trust the Bible is that it's the most verifiably authentic book of ancient history that there is. Um, there are measures of sort of textual authenticity. Uh, people who study this, scholars who get into the, the verifiability of an ancient text, look at Uh, A couple of things, among other things. Uh, One is how many copies of an ancient text that we have around. Um, And then the second thing is is how long uh, of a time lapse has gone by from the original writing of something to the copies that we have today. So I'll give you a couple of examples of ancient writings that are considered unquestionably reliable history. One is the history of Herodotus. Herodotus was an ancient Greek historian. Uh, He wrote his history in the 5th century BC, uh, or BCE, if we're using the new indicators of uh, of history now. Uh, So around 450 or so, the mid-400s BC, is when Herodotus wrote his histories. Uh, The oldest copy, sort of handwritten manuscript of that history that, that archaeologists possess today dates back to about 900 A.D. or 900 C.E. So about 1,500 years um, of a gap between when it was originally written, when Herodotus lived, and the oldest copy that's still sort of in existence today. So that, that's the timeline, about 1,500 years. And there are eight copies uh, of that original And so what they do is it's like having eight witnesses to an event. And and each of those eight witnesses sort of recounts what was originally said. And the level of consistency and agreement among those eight copies says, yeah, this is a reliable uh, copy that we have of what was original. And so we can call it good history. And so uh, Herodotus is so reliable that he's by many called the father of history because he was the first to sort of compile historical events into a narrative. 
Another historian, Livy, uh, was a Roman historian. He wrote right around the time of Jesus uh, originally, and the oldest copies of Livy's Roman history uh, also date around 900 AD, so about a 900-year gap between the original and the oldest copies we have, and there are about 20 copies that archaeologists have today. So 20 witnesses to the reliability or authenticity of that original document. So that's even more verifiable, right, by this standard than even Herodotus. Uh, And both of these are, by historians, regarded as reliable, verifiable history. And I imagine you can see where I'm about to go. If we look just at the New Testament, uh, which was written uh, in the first century, uh, between 40 and 100 uh, A.D. or C.E., the oldest copies that we have of the New Testament date back to as early as 130 A.D., or CE, fragments of the New Testament, and the whole manuscript of the New Testament, sort of collectively, the oldest copies that we have date back to 310. So as close as 30 years between the original writings and the oldest copies that uh, are in existence today is, is the time lapse between those very, very short time lapse. And if we're looking just at the Greek New Testament, which was the original language in which the New Testament was written, Uh, There are 5,800 copies in existence today. Uh, These are handwritten manuscripts. It's like 5,800 witnesses and and the amazing consistency of those witnesses to what was originally written. Uh, There are 10,000 Latin translations, handwritten manuscripts uh, of the early Greek New Testament. And then 9,000 plus just different, different handwritten translations in different languages uh, from those early manuscripts. Overwhelming evidence of the verifiable reliability of the Bible as a historical document. So I trust the Bible. I trust the Bibles on my shelves because of what I know about them. But that's not what motivates me to pull the Bible off the shelf and actually use it any more than trusting a cookbook motivates me to pull it off the shelf and use it ordinarily in my day-to-day life when I'm cooking. So there's got to be more uh, to to motivate me to pull that Bible off the shelf and actually use it in my life and dig in and see what it has to say. So there's another reason that, that I trust the Bibles on my shelf. I trust them because of what the Bible says about itself. So 2 Timothy 3.16, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible about the Bible, uh, says this. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This verse says two big things about the Bible. It says it's God-breathed, which means it came from God. The breath of his uh, being, of his word, is what has Uh, produced the Bible, uh, and it says it's it's useful. Uh, So sort of a high claim and a very practical claim right there contained in that verse. What does it mean that it's God-breathed? 2 Peter 1.21 sort of unpacks this idea a little bit. It says, for prophecy, another word for scripture or the Bible, uh, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there's this supernatural combination of of divinity and humanity in the writing of the Bible. So from from a diversity standpoint, um, 
the human authors were radically diverse. The Bible is a compilation of writings that spans about 1,600 years, uh, from something like 1,500 uh, B.C. to about 100 A.D., um, the authors of the Bible were from different ethnicities, different nationalities. They spoke different languages. They had different occupations. Uh, they wrote in different genres of writing, from history to poetry to letters of correspondence back and forth. So lots of different kinds of writing, lots of different kinds of writers uh, displaying an, an, a remarkable diversity in how the Bible came together. And yet there is a unity in one divine author, sort of, as the scripture says, carrying along these human writers. There's this divine inspiration that, that weaves all of their writing together so that despite all of this diversity, there is this consistent, coherent message or testament to God's promise that he would restore a broken and fallen world through a Messiah so that people could be in an eternal relationship with him. In the Old Testament, this promise was communicated through covenants with the ancient pillars, uh, patriarchs of the Israelite people, Abraham, Moses, David, and all of these covenants or promises pointed forward to the Messiah who would come. And despite the diversity just of the Old Testament writers, this scarlet thread, as some theologians call it, referring to the blood of Jesus, uh, sort of weaves through all of these writings so that it's a coherent, clear, consistent message. And then in the New Testament, there's an explanation looking back of how the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is how Jesus um, was the fulfillment of all of these promises. And it explains how you and I can discover life with God through a relationship with Jesus. So there's an amazing um, diversity and an amazing unity to the scriptures. And if that's true, right, if, if this book is from God, then you would expect it to stand out among other books of history. You would expect it to be uh, a lot more popular over the years. Uh, you would expect it to stand out in terms of its verifiability, uh, which, as we've seen, it does. And so what the Bible says about itself and what we know about the Bible externally, um, they, they match right up with what you would expect to see if the Bible really is reliable. The second thing that, that we see in 2 Timothy 3.16, not only is it God-breathed, not only is it from God, it's a supernatural book, um, but it's useful. It is very practically, it, it has practical value uh, in several different ways. And it says it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Um, and each of those has sort of a, a unique strand of meaning when you get kind of behind those words. And so to say that the Bible is useful for teaching uh, is interesting because when we look at Jesus, uh, who is the central figure and focal point of the Bible, teaching is what he did. Just everywhere he went with his disciples, he was all the time teaching. You know, object lesson here, pointing out something there. Uh, in nature, in relationships, um, he, would, he would turn conversations about you know, any ordinary thing into uh, a spiritual teaching moment. This is just what Jesus did. And the Bible is useful in this same way, that as we go about life, it's just all the time teaching us and, and helping us understand the things of God. The Bible is useful for teaching. also says the Bible is useful for rebuking. Uh, the Bible is useful for saying that something is wrong. There's, there's practical value in identifying right from wrong that we find in the Bible. The Bible is also useful for 
correcting. Uh, and here's something I didn't know that I just learned in preparation for this. This idea of correcting in this original word uh, carries this image of setting something straight. Uh, so we talk about a course correction, taking something that's sort of meandering and sort of straightening it out in a way that, um, that makes it useful. So the Bible is useful for setting a straight course. It's useful for correction. And finally, the Bible is useful for training in righteousness, training us toward goodness toward virtue, toward morality, toward all of these righteous things. Uh, The Bible is useful for training us in these ways. And so when I think about the Bible, uh, I trust the Bible, all the different ones that are are on my shelves, not only because of what I can know about the Bible, but also because of what the Bible says about itself. But still, if I'm honest, all too often, there they sit, occupying a place of pride in my life. I'm glad I have them. I sort of take some identity in, in being a person who trusts the Bible. But just believing some things about the Bible and even believing what the Bible says about itself all too often is not enough motivation for me to pull it out, open it up, and dig into it in a way that its usefulness becomes useful to me any more than I pull a cookbook down off the shelf in ordinary day-to-day cooking. There has to be more. And so it raises this question, uh, and and, and I wrestle with this, and I want to pose this to you. What will it take to move from believing in the Bible, believing in its reliability, to actually relying on it in real life? To me, that's the, the operating question for many of us here today. How will the reliability of the Bible turn into reliance on the Bible? I've had two life-changing experiences with food. Actually, I've had lots of life-changing experiences with food, but two that I'm going to suggest are relevant to the reliability of the Bible. And one uh, happened several years ago. Uh, my family was visiting my sister and brother-in-law, and, and I like to cook. You know, I'm not, I don't consider myself a foodie. I'm not all the time thinking about it, but they are. They, they love to cook. And so one of the things, we got up for breakfast one morning, and my sister had made these biscuits. Now, I like biscuits. I've always liked biscuits uh, of all shapes and sizes, but these were, like, on a different level. They were, you know, had this sort of crunchiness on the top and bottom that was like just fantastic and you get into the inside and it was light and fluffy yet also weighty and substantive I don't know how that was accomplished they were they were crumbly in all the right ways without being dry and I was like these biscuits oh my goodness I I gotta figure out how to make these where did you get this recipe and so my sister tells me well they are America's test kitchen biscuits and so very kindly, my sister bought me for that Christmas uh, a America's Test Kitchen cookbook, which contains the biscuit recipe that changed my life. And so I pulled it out, and I opened up to the bread section, and I found the recipe. And, and every now and again, um, oh, look at that. It turned right to it. Buttermilk biscuits on page 482. So I pull this out every now and again, now and, again and it's usually on a Saturday morning, uh, sometimes if it's like a snow day or something like that, uh, and, and I can be home when the kids are home, dad makes biscuits. And so, you know, the kids come running, they love it. It's, it's a thing in our house. It's part of my identity. But when I make those biscuits, it's not like ordinary cooking. I pull down the cookbook, I get out the recipe, and I follow it every single time because it matters that I get these biscuits right because I've had an experience with these things. 
A second time uh, that uh, food changed my life, my wife and I got invited over to a dinner party at a friend's house, and we were going to have risotto. I had never had risotto, and so I was excited to try something new. And if you know anything about risotto, you know it's quite a process with the rice and the stirring and the broth and all of this. Uh, And my friend was really excited uh, to share this with me, knowing I'd never had it before. And, uh, but I got to confess, I was a little bit skeptical, you know, and he's sort of showing me the process and I'm looking down at the pot and it doesn't really look like much when you're getting started. But oh my goodness, when we sat down to eat, he puts this bowl in front of me. I took one bite. I said, my life will never be the same. This, this is porridge from heaven. This is the best thing I've ever had. I've got to figure out how to make this risotto. So I go home and I start looking through all the cookbooks on the shelf and I, and I, I finally land on, you know, a recipe here in this big yellow one called how to cook everything. And, and I found the risotto recipe. And similar to the biscuits, you know, it, it happens, you know, every so often. It's just risotto time, you know, in, in the Hanbury house. And so I'll pull it out and I'll make the risotto and I love it. I think it's better than any that I've had in a restaurant. Risotto is hard to get in a restaurant that's really good. Um, it's not like my friend's risotto, but I'm still trying. It's like it's, like a, it's a process, right, that I'm always trying to refine. And I get out that same cookbook every time because it matters that I get that risotto right. Now, why am I talking about biscuits and risotto when the question is, is the Bible reliable? Because I can believe in the reliability of these cookbooks all day long. But if I haven't had an experience of what's in a cookbook, I'm not going to pull it down and make it useful in my life. But when something lights up my senses, when, when we eat something that just stands out and we go, I've got to have that. Then we're motivated to pull the cookbook down and figure out how we can make that, how we can reproduce it, how it can become useful in my life to recreate this food. Reliability turns into reliance. And what I want to suggest to us today is that in the same way, I believe the reliability of the Bible turns into reliance on the Bible When the things we know about the Bible, when the things we know from within the Bible are paired with experiences that we have from the Bible. And I believe we see this even in the pages of Scripture. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a way to draw into, to lean in to who he is and what the Bible says. Sadly, I can't make you a biscuit or a bowl of risotto to show you how good the Bible is, but I I do hope to give you a taste of the goodness of relying on the Bible by sharing just a few examples of how I've discovered the reliability of the Bible in my own life, how relying on it has made a difference for me. Now, I'm certainly not a perfect example of that, uh, not even the best example of that, but I do hope that some of my experience will help you taste and see Uh, that the Lord is good so that you'll pull your Bible off the shelf or pull it up on your phone just a little bit more often and turn to it, rely on it in your life. Um, So as I reflect back uh, on on my journey of relying on the Bible, the first Bible that that, um, I can remember as a child is this one. This is the Bible in pictures for little eyes. It was was published in 1956 and... um, as I thumb through it, I, have, I can remember images from this Bible that, that stand out. This one here is Abraham looking up at the stars when God made his uh, great promise to him. This picture gave me nightmares. 
Like, I, I don't know why, but, it, but something about the silver color of Abraham's hair just freaked me out. Um, but that's the only negative thing I'll have to say about this Bible. As, as I thumb through it, uh, I see these pictures and, and some of them just stand out as, oh yeah, I remember seeing that picture. Like there's a picture in here of Pharaoh's daughter uh, pulling Moses up in the basket out of the bulrushes. There's a picture of um, Jesus' parable of the good shepherd sort of reaching out over a cliff to find the lost sheep. And it occurs to me, well, I was probably four or five years old, my parents reading this to me, the Bible became real, right? It, it, was, it, was, it was real to me. These stories weren't just, you know, something, you know, akin to other uh, books that we might have read that I'm sure my parents read to me, but, but the Bible became real. And in that way, uh, it was reliable, right? It, it became reliable to me as something that, that mattered in my life. Um, and I can see now how those images that I carry in my mind, sort of, I see those in my head, even today when I'm reading different stories from the Bible. The Bible is useful for teaching, even at a very young age. I've, I've discovered this to be true for me. And then as a teenager uh, and, and young adult, uh, the Bible showed up to be reliable in some different ways as well. This is my first nice Bible. And, and, and I remember vividly when I first got this, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. Uh, if, some of you might, might remember this if you were sort of a part of the same kind of uh, Christian era that I was. This is a Schofield reference Bible. Uh, I think it was $80, and then I waited until it went, you know, half off, and so I spent my own $40 as a 7th or 8th grader for my first really nice Bible. So this was an exciting um, time for me. And, and during the years of using this Bible, when I was young, my dad was always really big on Proverbs, uh, so he talked a lot about, you know, reading a proverb a day, and, and he would emphasize that Proverbs and Revelation were the two books in the Bible that, that carry a promise of blessing uh, for, for reading them. And so when I look at this Bible, uh, it's all, you know, marked up and colored, and, and I've got all sorts of stuff going on there uh, in the book of Proverbs, especially. Most of, most of these writings uh, I put in here when I was like in high school or early college age or something like that. Um, but it was because of this promise that when we read the Bible, and the book of Proverbs in particular, um, it says that's how we gain wisdom. That's how we gain discernment. That's how we gain understanding. And, and as I reflect back, it was those years uh, where those pursuits became sort of core to me. I, it, was, it was like something hit the bedrock and went, yes, that's the most worthy thing to pursue. Wisdom, discernment, understanding. Uh, and it was when sort of um, it, it landed with me that the Bible's not just about, you know, a book of rules or, or stories, but it's about transformation on the inside, about changing who I am and how I live. That was, that's what the Bible is, is effective for. That's what it's there for. And this sort of became part of who I am during those years. And I remember a time distinctly where those sorts of things got tested, um, I was in junior high or high school, and I had cheated on a history test. And, uh, and I got away with it, at least I, as far as I knew, I got away with it, didn't get caught. But, oh my goodness, I couldn't live with myself. I couldn't sleep. I was paranoid walking down the, the halls of the school. When every time I went into that class in particular, I would like, break out in sweats. I just, I just couldn't take it. You know, the idea that I had cheated was so incongruous with wisdom and discernment uh, that, that I just couldn't live with myself. And so I wrote a confession note to my history teacher, and I went in when she wasn't there, and I remember putting it on her desk, you know, just... 
you know, and then got out of there as fast as I could, you know, hoping she would see it and that would kind of be it. Of course, it wasn't. Uh, she called me in and she, you know, talked to me about it. And I don't remember what she said, but I remember just the weight of the world came off my shoulders uh, because things had been made right. Uh, and nobody had to tell me that. Nobody had to tell me that that, that was, it was incongruous. It came from sort of digging into the Bible. And I think it's an illustration of what we see uh, in Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is useful for rebuke, for saying something is wrong. And I've experienced that in my life. Now, you know, obviously I haven't always made the wise choice, but I do think that 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 time of rootedness in the Bible prevented me from doing a whole lot of foolish things that I might otherwise have done. And I know that it's given me a spiritual hunger uh, to learn more, which leads me to my next uh, significant Bible in my life. And this uh, I got when I was a student of the Bible, uh, working on my master's in theology. And the, the publisher of this Bible, Crossway, uh, had just come out with a new translation uh, right when I was starting in seminary. And they brought all these free copies for all the students. And so it was free. I was happy to pick up this copy, uh, hardback edition of the English Standard Version. And I used this for study, for preaching, teaching, all sorts of things uh, for a whole lot of years. And if you can see it, it's all ragged and it's kind of fallen apart. And, you know, Genesis 1 through 12 fell out. Um, but I just, I just keep it there because it's, it's important to me. Um, there's, there's, you know, lines and notes and things all you know, just about on every page of this Bible. It's all torn up. Um, and, and it was in this Bible, I can actually see, you know, verses on the page when I'm trying to remember what I've, what I've read. But it was during uh, the years of using this version of the Bible uh, that I began to see the larger story uh, of the Bible uh, from the Old Testament into the New uh, and how it had implications for my life. So I saw the larger story of creation and how God created the world uh, to be a display of his glory and his love and how he created me to be in relationship with him. And I saw how the fall uh, is what broke that relationship Um, and how when Adam and Eve uh, ate the forbidden fruit, it wasn't just like taking cookies off a cookie jar. It It was them declaring to God that they wanted to decide what was best for them. Uh, They didn't want to follow God. They wanted to be self-sufficient. And I began to see how that was so true of me uh, so often, that that same sort of rebellion against God replayed over and over again in my own life. And it helped make sense of some of my inner struggle uh, to to be in relationship with God. So I learned about creation, the fall, but I learned about redemption and how when Jesus came along uh, as the promised Messiah, he, he came to succeed where Adam and Eve Failed. So when Jesus was tempted to go his own way, uh, to be self-sufficient, to turn away from God, uh, he chose God. Uh, and he made a way for all of us who have turned away from God to believe in Jesus and have that restored relationship with God. Not self-sufficient, but dependent on God. I learned about redemption and how it applied to my own life. And then I learned about the consummation of all things, how God is moving everything to a perfection of his kingdom in eternity. And it helped me see that worldly pursuits are not ultimate. You know, like everybody else, you know, I want all kinds of things in this life. Um, 
And I get caught up in those pursuits. And it's so easy to do that, right? We get carried away with, with just the things of the world and the attractions and, and everything that goes along with it. But it helped me sort of identify, okay, this world is not ultimate. Eternity uh, is the goal. And that sort of sets some things right. The Bible is useful for correction, for sort of setting things straight. It was also in the years of, of studying this Bible that, that I learned not only the sort of macro-level story and how that connected to me, but I also learned how to dig in specifically to the, the sentences and words uh, that, are, that are within the Bible. So sort of a, a micro-look of what, what's in this text. What does it say? What does it really mean? And what does that mean for me? What are implications for my life? And in that way, uh, I think of you know, kind of the macro story and the micro study as two sort of straight railroad tracks to ride on in terms of digging into the Bible and, and allowing it to be useful for correction, for setting me on a straight course. The Bible is useful for correction. And then at, at moments of crisis or tension, uh, I can look back and think about how uh, the verses and, and words of the Bible that were in my head uh, were the only thing that I had to turn to uh, when fear and anxiety uh, have gripped me. So I can think of a couple times just laying awake at night, <clears throat> fearful about circumstances and, and sort of repeating over and over in my mind, Psalm 1, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down by green pastures. And sort of the, the anxiety and fear of worldly circumstances um, are eased and there's comfort and there's encouragement in those things. Um, through the Bible. It's reliable uh, for those things in those times. And then I think about <clears throat> my own kids. And I'm a proud dad. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how they're beginning to take on uh, some of these um, evidences of the reliability of the Bible in their own life. And if you're a parent, you might be, you might be interested in this, especially if you have kids that are young. Uh, three, three Bibles stood out, stand out uh, in, in, in my life. And I'll just, I'll just show them to you. The Big Picture Story Bible uh, teaches kids the big story of how all these things hang together. Found this to be really reliable uh, for helping teach my kids. Uh, and then they got a little bit older and we, and we started doing the Jesus Storybook Bible with them. And it shows how uh, that thread of Jesus the Messiah is woven throughout all of the scriptures. Uh, and then they got a little bit older and we started reading this one called The Mighty Acts of God. And it tells the story of the Bible and explains the theology and meaning behind them. And, and it's... it's Probably the most rewarding thing in my life when we have spiritual conversations, when topics come up about God. And, you know, to be honest, it doesn't happen all the time. It's not like that's every day in a, in a pastor's kid's house. Um, we're a lot more normal than you probably think. Um, <clears throat> we're taking it, taking it a day at a time. But, but there are times when it just becomes clear, oh, these things are landing. Right? Like they're, they're, they're sort of understanding the, the big story, and they're, and they're articulating a level of processing and comprehension that just, you know, fills a dad's heart up with pride uh, to discover the reliability of the Bible uh, in my own kid's life. Uh, so in all of these ways, just, just personally, I've discovered that relying on the Bible is, in fact, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for, for training in righteousness. And I think it's an example of what we find uh, in Joshua 1.8, something else that the Bible uh, says about itself. It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. The Bible is useful. But for me, the biggest case 
for the reliability of the Bible, the biggest motivation to actually rely on it in life comes from what Jesus said about the Bible. Um, and listen to how he described the reliability, the importance of the Bible in Matthew five eighteen and 19. He said, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The importance of God's word, the importance of the Bible, the scriptures, was life and death to Jesus. And if what the Bible says about Jesus is true, namely that he rose from the dead, a, a historical event that, that people have tried to disprove for centuries and yet there is no body, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then I think we're wise to get on board with what he says about the Bible. Jesus believed in the reliability of the Bible. Jesus uh, taught that it was life and death that we would rely on it. And so if the, what the Bible says about Jesus is true, then what Jesus says about the Bible is of utmost importance for you and me that we would dig in and rely on it. So I had another conversation with my wife about this topic. This was just uh, yesterday. And, and as she has sort of thought about this, uh, she wasn't raised in a home like I was. So there was no um, the Bible in pictures for little eyes for my wife. And so as she reflects on uh, her life, sort of before coming to Christ and just the relationships that she had and her family dynamics and, and her friends and everything else, and compares that to uh, the last 20 years or so and what she has experienced both inwardly and outwardly uh, in her life, uh, her take is it's no small difference a life of relying on the Bible and a life of not. Uh, and so I would just sort of use that as an opportunity to invite all of us to experience the difference, uh, maybe to experience the difference afresh uh, for some of us uh, that the power of relying on the Bible can make in your life and in mine. And let's pull it off the shelf. Let's, let's use it to um, prove itself to be useful in our lives and just see the difference that it makes. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word um, that, that has shown itself to be reliable in so many ways. And I pray that um, for each of us uh, who are here that you, would, um, that you would make it come alive to us. Uh, when we open it up and begin to read, no matter where it is, uh, in the pages of Scripture, I pray that you would meet us there and in a supernatural way um, come down and speak to us that we might hear your voice, that we might see your hand at work, uh, that we might see a difference in our lives because of the reliability, the truthfulness, the trustworthiness of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.